When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. It's The Middle with Anthony Weiner on WABC. Taking a step back to look at things with a new perspective. It's The Middle with Anthony Weiner. And good afternoon. I'm Anthony Weiner, and thank you for meeting me here in the middle. An hour every Saturday at 2 o'clock when we take some steps away from the hot takes of the far left and the far right and try to bring some context to the news of the week or maybe a subject that doesn't find its way into the middle of the conversation enough. It's so great to have you along. If you'd like to join in the conversation at any point, 800-848-WABC. 800-848-9222. Like I said, we're here every Saturday from 2 to 3. Then at 3 o'clock, Curtis Lewa comes in and we get together for left versus right. You can hear us here on 77 ABC, the most powerful talk and news station in the country. Or you can download the app or go to wabcradio.com. It's so great to have you along. I am bound and determined this Independence Day weekend that this be an up an upbeat and celebratory show. Some heavy stuff going on out there, but this is a weekend of celebration. I'm going to try to keep it that way. And when the world is on fire the way it is, um, part of my path to recovery has been every so often, a couple of times throughout the day, I do a gratitude list. I know many religions, many programs practice this. There's this interesting body of science that says it's not happiness that makes you grateful, but gratitude that makes you happy. Think about that for a second. And so I'm grateful that when uh, I came out my door this morning, there was a city bike that was one of these fancy new ones right there waiting on the bike rack for me. I was able to take it seven minutes up here to the studio. I'm grateful for Rich, Diego, Nico, and uh, Kevin helping on the other side of the glass to help us out, help me. I'm still still learning this stuff. The, the middle's been on for a while. This is, I think, our 15th episode, and every week I'm grateful for their help. And I'm really grateful that you're joining us. Starting to look a little cloudy here in New York. Um, and I need that gratitude list today because uh, Jordan is away at camp. And so I know I know what people talk when they talk about empty nest syndrome when parents watch their kids go off to college. Summer camp is a little bit like that for the younger set. And I know his mom and I were kind of wandering around. We have these big spaces in our schedule that usually are occupied with him. Today, I did a little work in his bedroom where I touched up some of the scratches on the wall. And I'm going to try something. I know he's not listening since they don't have any electronics up there at camp. I'm going to try to take some of his age-old toys that are cluttering up his his room and maybe secretly bring them over to Goodwill. Um, I am uh, also, I'm a little bit, I should tell you, I'm a little bit anxious. Uh, Jordan and his mom got me for Father's Day one of these fitness tracker rings. And I've been wearing it for a few days. And one of the things that it does is it registers how well you're sleeping. And I I was interested in this, you know, because I don't feel that I get a terrific night's sleep. Um, and so they measure all of these different things. And then when you get up in the morning, they give you a sleep score. Okay. Now, I don't want to – I'm a little bit alarmed at this, but I don't want to panic any of you. I – my first night with this thing had a beats per minute of 36 Beats per minute, heartbeats per minute. Uh, and I went online and I, it is something like four beats faster than clinically in a, in a coma. Now it's not like I'm sleeping super well. And I should tell you my resting heartbeat is usually like 46, 47. But, um, so I went onto the website for this fancy aura ring thing. At what point does my app like dial 911 and say, come resuscitate me? Some get the jaws of life to wake me up. So, I'm a little bit nervous. I'm, I'm going to wear this thing a few more nights, but I don't want to, I don't want to get like advanced notice that 
this is it, the end of the line. This would be a, a bad way to go just if suddenly my heart stops beating. But it's not going to today because I really – right now as I'm checking, I'm checking my app and it says I'm at 51. So I'm a little higher than I usually am uh, doing the podcast, doing the broadcast today. But I, as I slip there, I want to also tell you that coming up this week on Thursday, the first episode will be dropping of a new podcast that I'm working on called Keys to the City – and I encourage you to check it out on the WABC Radio app or on WABCradio.com under the podcast. So search keys, and there's a preview episode that is up. It is this idea of having a podcast about ideas, about ideas for the city, things that I've always thought would be good ideas, and we bring guests on to talk about them. The first one, I go right in there and dive into crime and the, the uh, policy of stop and frisk and how to make that work better for both as a crime-fighting tool and also ways to protect us on the civil liberty side. So that's something I would encourage you to take a look at. So let's take a look at the numbers this week. The, the primaries are over. Uh, um, Kathy Hochul is our Democratic nominee for governor, and Lee Zeldin is the Republican nominee. 13% was the turnout on the Democratic side, 16% on the Republican side. And I have heard people again and again say, oh, my goodness, that's terrible, What's wrong with our country? Such low turnout. What's wrong? Even my friend Curtis says that. I don't understand the concern. If people don't want to help choose the nominee for the Democratic Party, they're probably not very active Democrats, and they shouldn't be participating in the primary. Same for the Republicans. This is supposed to be where we choose our best nominees. Now, if the turnout, obviously, I would hope it would be higher in the general election. But in the primaries, I don't care if there's 15 people. Another reason I don't care is that then it gives my vote as an active Democrat that much more weight. I don't mind there being small turnouts. I don't want someone casually wandering into the poll not knowing what they're doing and casually choosing who they want. And I have to tell you something else, that it it largely works. You know, I had did an episode, I think, uh, was it last week or the week before, about how the concern of the right and uh, uh, and many on the left is that well, you know, the, the boogeyman is the AOC wing of the Democratic Party taking over the Democratic Party. Do you know how many races they won? I think one in the entire state. Um, their, their gubernatorial candidate lost by like 30 points. Their, their assembly candidates didn't win. So that small turnout of Democrats, at least, is choosing the right candidates. I mean, they chose, they chose Biden, and Biden got elected. They chose candidates this week. And so for people to say, oh, my God, that turnout is so low, it's terrible. Um, I'm not in that camp. I actually don't mind. Um, and if, you know, look, if, if people and so other people have said, well, we should have let independents vote in primaries. No, <laughs> if you don't care enough to register as a Republican, you shouldn't get to vote in the Republican primary. If you if you don't consider yourself a Republican, why do you get to choose who the nominees are? So I think the system is a lot of things to be critical of the system. But, you know, this, as I said, is Independence Day. We are or Independence Weekend. We are going to keep it upbeat and talk about the things that are great about this country. And I tell you, I am also a little later in the program. I did the impossible. I found the Supreme Court decision from the last couple of weeks that both Democrats and Republicans should feel the same way about. Not <laughs> that we should all like it. As a matter of fact, I think we should on both sides. Everyone should be very concerned about this one particular one. Now, that's not to say that I like the other one. I don't like the Supreme Court said the Supreme Court, there's no right of people to make reproductive choices for their own bodies. That's not in the Constitution. I don't like the idea that they said that's up to any state can decide to do whatever they want on that front. I don't like the idea that um, that, you know, there was a, a, a the 110 year old uh, law was struck down because it lacked a traditional basis. When you have a 110 year old law like we had with the handgun law in the state, I'm pretty sure that's a tradition. So, but I did find one, and um, a little later in the program, I'm going to talk a little bit about that. Um, about that, if you'd like to participate in this Independence Weekend program, I encourage you to give us a call eight hundred eight four eight WABC eight hundred eight four eight nine two two two. A couple of other of the numbers of the week nine. That is the percent of the vote that a gentleman named Bobby Pitton. I think I'm saying that right. He was running for. Governor in Illinois, Bobby Pitton. Now, why is that a number of the week? Because Bobby, Mr. Pitton, Mr. Pitton, P-I-T-O-N, you can Google it. He got 9% of the vote, but he said he is not conceding. 
he came in fourth. He didn't come in second. He came in fourth. He's not conceding. And why isn't he conceding? He says because he thinks the election wasn't fair. And when asked why he thought it wasn't fair, he said, I have no proof, but I have theories. And so already that famous line that came out during the January 6th hearing that so many people were saying to Donald Trump and, and were saying to the Justice Department, we don't have proof, but we have theories. Now it's steeped into the into the common vernacular. And now even guys that get 9%, um, 9%, they're not conceding either. Another interesting number this week, 8.6. That's the inflation rate, not here in, in the United States, but in the Eurozone. That's the Confederate of European Nations um, in the Europe. They used to be called the European Community. And I only point that out is that just to point out that, you know, I know there is a lot of finger pointing about what we can do about inflation. Well, whatever we think we can do about our central bankers can do or 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 fiscal policy can do. This is a worldwide problem. This is not just a problem that affects the United States. And so it becomes that much more uh, more vexing. Um, Another number this week, thirty four point five. That is the the number in pounds that the Stanley Cup weighs. It's a pretty heavy trophy. It is the longest continually, I think this is right, the longest continually awarded trophy in any sport um, that is uh, that is out around today. I think the America's Cup has been around longer, but it had breaks in the action there that wasn't continually awarded. And I point out the weight of it because already the Colorado Avalanche have won it, and the, what they do, this amazing tradition in hockey, and hockey has some of the best traditions, like their line up at the end of a series where they shake hands is a great tradition. But one is that every member of the Stanley Cup winning team gets to hold on to the Stanley Cup for at least a day or two. And that includes the trainers, that includes the coaches, and obviously the players. And it travels before then when they go to their parade, when they go to their parties, it travels with them. The adventures of the Stanley Cup are a great thing to follow online. And I point out the weight because it has now been dropped twice by the Colorado Avalanche, including once on the ice five minutes after they won it. When they were posing for their team picture, the guy skates over with it and thunk drops it. It's nickel and silver, so every year it gets dinged up a little bit. And I just as I was I was walking in here, um, I think I saw the same thing. Rich might have seen it. it. Apparently, the Stanley Cup got mailed to the first player, and it would have been Landeskog, their captain, and they mailed it to the wrong person. It went to his neighbor. Like, they got one digit wrong. And I'm surprised they mail the Stanley Cup. It comes in a box, or I don't I, I don't know, I guess I nearly thought about it, but, you know, they have this one guy who takes care of it. Um, and so uh, the Stanley Cup is making its way around. I know I said this is going to be Independence Day, and it's kind of a Canadian thing, um, but I wanted to, to point that out in the numbers of the week. So a couple of Independence Day numbers just to kind of keep in mind as we – Think about the blessings that we have living in this amazing country. And here we are 246 years later. The total population in 1776 was 2.5 million people. And I'm going to put that in context for you. Brooklyn, in the last census, 2.74 million. So in other words, the entire United States of America, all 13 colonies, were not even as populous as Brooklyn is today. And just, again, 2.5 million, United States population, 2020 census, 331 million. So we are a big country. And it's fascinating when you look at some of the documents of the founding fathers, including the Federalist Papers and other things, they talk about the challenge of crafting a constitution and holding together a country that is so diverse. (laughs) This was all white land-owning men. (laughs) <laughs> so <laughs> the only diversity was do you grow tobacco or do you grow or do you are you a trader or whatever? I mean, that's really so when we think about the challenges we face as a country today, it's worth keeping in mind this experiment, as it's commonly called, has changed an enormous, an enormous amount. Um, and and I know we talk about this as being the founding of our country I think it's a good reminder that really, I mean, the, the War of Independence ran from 1775. Actually, it started before the, the Declaration of Independence was signed. It ends at about 1783. And then it's not until 1787 that the Constitution is written and signed. And then 1788, 
now. So remember, 1776 is, you know, is the 4th of July. And now it's 1788 when the Constitution is ratified by the states. I know Diego knows this, but I don't see him back there. The The first state to ratify it, Rich, do you know? Can you, uh, can you repeat the, the question? The <laughs> first state to ratify the Constitution even says the first state on their license plate. Oof. Uh, Delaware is it Delaware? Correct. Nicely done. I sense you got help back there. Now that's generally easier because no one puts on, no one puts it on the license plate. The thirteenth state. What was the last state to ratify the Constitution? Oof. Uh, I'm gonna just go on a limb and say maybe Virginia. <laughs> you need someone to, you know. Here's, you know, I can tell when Rich is on his own. He looks around, and then when no one runs in the door to tell him, he's on his own. The answer is Rhode Island. Little Rhodey was the thirteenth state to be right. And that happens in 1788. The only point I'm making here is that is that we are, we like to say we're, we're a nation of laws, and it wasn't until 1788, 1775, the, you know, so we had the better part of a generation without any constitution. And then, as I pointed out last week when we were talking about the Supreme Court, it's not until, it's not until um, 1789 that it goes into effect. And then it's not until 1803 that Marbury v. Madison is decided where it's the Supreme Court takes it upon themselves to declare laws constitutional or not constitutional. Up until that point, no one had that job. People don't recognize that in Article 3 of the Constitution that talks about the, the responsibility of the Supreme Court. Nowhere does it say you get to decide the constitutionality that other – no one gets to say that something that the executive branch did or the legislative branch did you get to decide is constitutional or not. So all of these originalists that talk about, let's go back to the original intent. Well, Marbury v. Madison was the first time, and the interesting thing, as I pointed out last week, is the president at the time, Congress at the time, said, okay, we'll follow that. And to this day, we have something called judicial review. Now we don't even question it. When the Supreme Court decides whether something constitutional, we might not like it, but we recognize that that's their role. And when we come back from the break, I have found it. I have found in honor of our unifying weekend that we have here today for for uh, for Independence Day. I have found the Supreme Court decision from last week that actually I think left and right can both agree upon in the middle um, was a real boneheaded decision. Let's see what you think. Really great to have you here on Independence Weekend, and we'll see you on the other side. Thanks for being here on The Middle. Finding new ways to make change, reaching across the aisle to work with both sides. This is The Middle with Anthony Weiner on WABC. There's a couple songs living on a fresh morning in England. It's a house with a view and I see this green and blue for miles. The local vicar has pretended that the church is well attended this morning. As he wanders with a purpose to the Sunday service, he's. And welcome back to the middle. That's the house Martins bringing us back in. Am I going to get in trouble? I'm like playing British music. Look, we did kick their butt in the Revolutionary War, but we've gotten over it. We now, there are. We have that special relationship. They're a great ally. The house Martins. If you, you know, it's not in my Wikipedia page, it's not in my bio. I think they're arguably my favorite band of all time. And they're not well known. They're leftist, they're religious Christian leftist, jang, jangly pop. I don't even know what to call them. They're from Hull, England, in the north of England. They were big in the 80s. The two founders, Paul Heaton, went on to, uh, went on to, uh, to found the Beautiful South. And Norman Cook, better known as Fat Boy Slim, went on, obviously, to a lot of fame being Fat Boy Slim. And I remember. Back in the day in the 80s, you know, when you found music by going to record stores and looking at interesting record albums and and I don't know how I don't know how we did it. But I remember my friend John Rasnick came home with the record Hull 4 London Zero, which was the House Martin's big, big uh, record. And he chose it just because he liked the way Paul Heaton was dressed on the cover and introduced us to this record. And I've loved it ever since. So we're going to be hearing from them uh, on the breaks. All right. So. I said that I want to try to keep this upbeat, be consistent with our message about this being a place where we can meet in the middle. And there have been some brutally difficult decisions from the Supreme Court that I feel 
basically were wrong and were wrongly decided and were very divisive. Okay, putting that aside, I figured that for today, since I'm going to try to keep things on the, I was going to try to find things that we can all kind of maybe agree upon. And, and if you want to talk about any Supreme Court decision you'd like to talk about, 800-848-WABC, 800-848-9222. You can, you, you can tweet uh, at Rep Wiener and also WienerWABC at gmail.com. So I went and I was trying to figure out, you know, and the, the decisions were coming out and they were all basically in one in one general side. And then at the very last minute comes down a decision that I really do believe both sides, Democrats, Republicans, should really be concerned about because it didn't come down on the side of a particular group of people. And it is the case of West Virginia versus the EPA. Now, I know some people might say at the EPA, I don't like the Environmental Protection Agency because I hate my environment or I like dirty water or I like dirty air, whatever the thing is. But the, what made this decision interesting and what it might have eluded your notice when there are so many, so many powerfully divisive issues out there, that this one is the one that is – I think it's going to – I mean this one arguably – I don't even know how you fix it. I'll explain why. So what it was is the state of West Virginia challenging the, clear, the Clean Air Act. The Clean Air Act is arguably one of the most successful laws. You know, it's cleaned up our air in New York. It's cleaned up our air around the country crack down on all kinds of pollutants in the air because it limits what big big um, factories can pump out into the air. There's a lot of things that have been been changed since it was passed. But one of the things that the EPA did, the Environmental Protection Agency did, is they put carbon dioxide emissions on coal plants. And there aren't a lot of coal plants, and most of, most of the people within the sound of my voice don't live anywhere near a coal plant. Um, but what the court said... And, and let me back up a little bit. The EPA had the authority to do stuff because the EPA is an executive agency. They work for the president. But generally the way laws are written is that Congress says, here's what we want to accomplish, and then they give power to the agencies to then go do it. So, for example, they say we want to have mandatory minimums for crimes, and then they give it to the Justice Department or they give it to the Department of Probation or they give it to the Bureau of Prisons to then figure out how to implement what Congress does. they We want to have a limit on on beer sale or something like that on on um, in national parks, so they give it to the Department of Interior to make rules and to implement how to do it. And so Clean Air Act had had a lot of this type of language in it. The Supreme Court said in their decision they struck down these carbon dioxide emission requirements because they said – Congress didn't say specifically how the EPA should put these carbon dioxide emissions into place and gave the power to the EPA, and they said you can't do that. And that, unfortunately, means that almost everything that government, that the legislature does, they they can't really do the way they've been doing it. As laws have gotten, as government, as life has become much more complicated – that's the way Congress says what you want to do. So what did, how did the Supreme Court come up with this answer, and what did they say we should do going forward? Well, they said that you can do the little stuff, but anything bigger becomes something they call the major question doctrine, meaning if it's a big, heavy thing, is a, a part of a law, then Congress had to say specifically how it wants it done. Okay. But then they go on to say, do you know who gets to decide when something is a major question? That's right. The court says we'll do it. So if you are someone, a conservative, like many people who call in to listen to this show, who believes that the courts have been legislating, have been trying to do too much, and they should um, empower, they should let the executive branch and legislative branch do what they were elected to do, you got to hate this. And if you are someone like me who believes that, look, I believe that things like the Clean Air Act, you know, to say that Congress didn't intend for the EPA to do this, they put it in the title. It's the Clean Air Act. They can't make it any more clear what their intention was. And so with this decision, so going forward, if you're a lawyer and you're giving someone, if you're giving someone advice, do you want to challenge this rule that's, that Congress came up with? Now, there's all that, by the way, challenging a rule that an agency comes up with happens all the time. Then what the, the court does is they say, well, what did Congress intend here? If they say if they intended, yes, you know, then. But now the, the courts are saying, 
We don't care that it's clear what the Congress intended. The way they're doing it has to be written out sentence by sentence in certain cases called major questions. So this con- this court that just got done telling us that they couldn't find a right to reproductive freedom anywhere in the original text, therefore it doesn't exist, is now taking an entire governing body, the Congress, and the executive branch, which runs these agencies, and saying we, the court, are going to decide if something is a major question. Holy cow! And so I can't think of anyone who would like this except if you're some kind of big business. Like if you're a coal plant or you're a big company that deals with, I don't know, anything. Because now if, like, for example, if, you know, I don't know. I mean, just think of any regulated. Oh, I know what we can do. Let's take a look at the uh, the the baby formula crisis that we did an episode on a few a few weeks ago where people were saying the government should do this or the agency should do that or how come the FDA didn't see this coming or happen. But, but, okay, now – Let's just that now the FDA says we want to order uh, uh, baby food manufacturers to make 10 percent to keep in reserve in case there's ever a problem. Then they, the, 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 the court can come up and say, mm, yeah, I guess that's a major question and strike down the, and strike down the regulation or no. We, they just made up a standard. Oh, by the way, that's not the first time in this session that they did it. I mean, they they've they've done it before. They they did it. You know, they, this history and tradition standard that they come up with for gun laws is a new one, too. I talked about that last week. We just have to we don't know it until we know it. So I think this is one West Virginia versus EPA that left and right can say, huh, we don't like it. Those of us who want to have a, a powerful, vigorous regulatory scheme that holds big, big companies in check. And then on the other side that says, hey, let the legislature and the executive branch do their job. Don't legislate from the bench. This is a real dog. I don't know what you all think. 800-848-WABC, 800-848-9222. But again, I am determined to keep this upbeat and optimistic and forward-looking and happy. I'm smiling right now. Hold on. Let me look at what my beats per minute is. Uh Uh-oh, 62. I'm now (laughs) going up there. I've gone up 25% just during my show. Um, but call in. Be part of the show. This show does not work without all of you participating. 800-848-WABC. If you'd like to talk about West Virginia v. EPA, if you'd like to talk about any of the other Supreme Court decisions, if you uh, – two things I – I won't – look, I'm not going to not put you on. Nico's still going to put you through. But if you want to talk about the January 6th hearings or Rudy Giuliani – both of those things could go sideways. So I don't want to talk about either of those two. I, by the way, I told, I told Curtis at 3 o'clock the same thing. I said, listen, I am going to whistle while I work today. It's Independence Weekend. Another interesting thing about this weekend, as I was doing research for the show, and it might surprise you to learn that I do any research for this show, that it is the number one beer consumption holiday. Yes, more than any other. Now, I assume that... Super Bowl Sunday was, and I was shocked to learn that Congress has not made that a holiday yet. Hopefully they'll get right on that. We are here um, every week from 2 to 3. We call it the middle. We'd like you to be part of it. Let's go to get some phone calls. And by the way, you can also call and ask me questions about the House Martins or my friend John Rosnick or what I was doing in 1986 as a staffer working in Washington, D.C. I can do that as well. Uh, next, uh, uh, First up, let's go to John in Staten Island. John, thank you so much for hanging on. Welcome aboard. Anthony, have a happy fourth. You too, and, buddy. Uh, two topics. I was going to quickly say the uh, I agree with you with the independents. You know, the independents said he wanted. Now I don't know if these independents have some guy who is either a Democrat or Republican trying to change that. Because if you're an independent, and you know what, the Republicans picked Sliwa for mayor, and you know what, the Democrats picked Adams, and you know what, the independents who didn't vote. Put in Adams and Les Curtis, we have 40% more crime. So the independents either join the party or just pick what you got. And I guess they didn't pick the right mayor so far. Well, I, I think, listen, one. if you are, it, it, I, the, the, I do think that people should turn out and vote in general elections. But I think you put it right on the head. It, look, the summary position, John, is you can't really complain if you don't participate in this process. But go ahead. What was your second point? 
And it, uh, well, actually, the second point was part of the financing. Do you know that last year we gave out seventeen million dollars of taxpayers' funds? If the independents uh, uh, peed off about uh, not voting for a Republican or Democrat as a candidate, you should be aware that every eight dollars from city taxes for one dollar, either a Democrat, Republican, and there was sixty candidates, got seventeen million dollars. Maybe we should cut that eight to one odds to maybe to four to one. Why would I need seventeen million to give to a candidate when it could, you know, get a printed paper, go on ads? But you, you got your seventeen million dollars. You know what? That pays for a lot of people's food bills. Well, you know, John. But here's what I will say. I get to disagree with you. By the way, when I ran for city council, it was the first time that this program had started. He's talking about the campaign finance law here in New York City, which is an interesting one. What it does is it says, if you agree to limit how much you spend as a candidate, and you agree that you are going to try to get money from New York City residents and not take any money from corporations, then we will help you by giving you a two-for-one match with city dollars. And John uh, doesn't like that because he's like, why should we be paying anyone to run for office? But let me give you the alternative, Mike Bloomberg. Then what you're saying is that someone that has unlimited amounts of his own money can come in and spend it, and some working-class guy like me that had a school teacher for a mom I would never be able to compete. I don't, you know, I didn't belong to a country club. I didn't come from a fancy, well-to-do family. I was able to run for the city council with this program. They gave me forty thousand dollars. I raised forty. They gave me forty, and I was able to compete. And the whole idea is to try to take out the role of money out of campaigns. And you say, well, why would you put in public money? Because we want you to be beholden to the public. We don't want you to be beholden to some other interest, and we don't want it just to be rich people. We don't want that. I don't think the country is a better place with a bunch of rich people governing us. I think it's much better if we give working class people an opportunity. But, John, I appreciate you really got us off on a great start. Nancy calling from Wisconsin. Nancy, fire away. Hi, Anthony Weiner. You are an amazing radio show talk. I'm sorry. I'm nervous. You're amazing on the radio. I'm a conservative, and I listen to nothing but uh, conservative talk shows. You are a gem. That's very. You are. are. I I don't know how to put it into words, but I think you're measured, you're thoughtful, and I hope someday you can become uh, someone that will be in power in New York State. Well, that's very nice of you, Nancy. Thank you so 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 much. How are things going in in Wisconsin? You guys have an interesting Senate race. Tell me tell me what you think is going to happen out there. I, you know, I, I am, I'm rooting for Ron Johnson, you know, but, um, like I said, I'm a conservative. Uh, I have been all my life, but I found a treasure in WABC with you. Well, it is, it is really great to have you listen, listen every week. This is why John Katzmatidis has this, this, this network set up and this station set up the way it is to, to get different kinds of voices. And we're really happy to have yours on the air today. Uh, check back with us, and uh, happy Independence Day weekend out there in Wisconsin. Next is uh, George in Rockland County. George, fire away. Yes, hi. I uh, always enjoy uh, listening to you, and I have to agree with the previous uh, lady from Wisconsin. You are a gem, okay? Uh, Thank but you. But saying all this here, uh, gun control. So uh, maybe I'm taking it kind of a far away, okay? But I feel is that uh, the Democratic Party and this uh, current New York State administration, I'm talking about New York State only, mind you, okay, are discriminating when it comes to gun control. And that's where I'm coming from, okay? They seem to come, in, they seem to come with uh, laws to uh, restrict guns, but it is mainly for law-abiding uh, people. They do absolutely nothing when it comes to criminals. Most of the deaths that happen, you know, are as a result of criminals. Okay, even if you go nationwide, okay, so you hear periodically what happened in Buffalo, but these are minute. The majority of people who die, okay, you know, are uh, criminals uh, that killing one each other. For example, all the shooting uh, that you have uh, in New York um, when it comes to gang fighting, and you know, and then bystanders. 
uh, are dying. You always hear about these little kids that was eating in its uh, place, and a gun went through the walls and whatever. Right, but George, but George, all laws. I appreciate it, George, and and I really do appreciate your calling. You're one of our, our our best listeners, and you always call in, call in again. All laws impact everybody. This whole idea, well. The criminals are not going to follow the laws, so why should you have these laws? Well, that's not true. I mean, that, that horrible shooting that, that we had in, uh, I believe it was in Buffalo and Uvalde, they all blur together. The guy waited till he was 18, the day of his 18th birthday, and went and got the gun. Obviously, the law against him getting it under the age of 18 did influence him. But the question is not whether, I mean, all laws, you know, laws against murder, uh, I mean, it's not probably not going to stop someone from murdering someone. I get that. The the. The thing is about the gun control is that we regulate pharmaceuticals. We regulate the we, who can sell and buy and sell uh, all kinds of different products. We reg, we put regulations on things. Something as dangerous as a gun, reasonable regulations. And what's a reasonable regulation? Do you, do, you, do, you, do you need it? Do you know how to use it? Do you know how to secure it? Should we be giving it to young people? Should we be giving such a weapon that is particularly dangerous, et cetera? I, I, I think that this notion don't have regulations on things because – Criminals don't follow regulations. That's true of all laws. We make laws for everyone, and people are going to break them. The only question is, how do we as a society state what our values are around it, what fences we want to put around these things? No one suggests that if you if you keep this the, the restriction on concealed carry in New York that crime disappears. No, but maybe it does reduce crime by some. Um, we're going to go to a break, and when we come back, we have a bunch more calls. People want to talk about the Supreme Court. If you want to talk about the House Martins, listen to a little bit of them on the way out. And, again, this is Independence Day. We have so much to be grateful for, and I'm grateful that you're here on The Middle. Finding new ways to make change, reaching across the aisle to work with both sides. This is The Middle with Anthony Weiner on WABC. Martins, welcome us back into In the Middle. For the Middle, every Saturday, 2 to 3. Coming up at 3 o'clock, Curtis Lee will be joining us. We'll talk a little bit about another holiday. Oh, it's a holiday. It's kind of a day of mourning. Bobby Bonilla Day was yesterday, and you Met fans know what that is. But do you know what Rick Pietro Day is? And we'll talk about that at uh, 3 o'clock. We're taking some calls about Supreme Court decisions we like and don't like. I talked about one that I think unifies us. By the way, it gets even worse. Next year, next year they've agreed to take another decision that I think left, left and right are going to not like. It is a decision. You know, I talked about the idea that the Supreme Court just invented something called the major doctrine theory, where they can take a regulation passed by an agency of the executive branch as pursuant to a congressional action and just throw it out because they can say, well, it's a major it's a, a major question, and only the court can decide whether something's a major question. Talk about an overreach. That's something that I think we can both agree upon. But n- that next year they have decided to take a case to decide if this obscure legal theory called the independent state legislature theory, it's complicated. But it's a case where people are trying to argue that the, that the Constitution should be read that state legislatures have the right to decide the, the final word on things like congressional districts, the outcome of congressional elections, and the outcome of presidential elections. The state legislature, not the courts in the state, and not the federal courts, just the legislature. So if they take that case and if they decide they agree with this thing called the independent state legislature theory, if the State legislature in Albany is control is controlled by by Democrats the way it is, and they draw congressional districts like they did recently that are completely um, political, complete gerrymanders. What we just had was the courts came in and said you can't do that; it's unconstitutional or it's wrong. We strike it down. Under this theory, the courts don't get to weigh in. You know how I mentioned to you earlier, judicial review started in 1803. The courts wouldn't get to weigh in. So what could happen? Presidential campaign in 2024, 
New York votes for Donald Trump or votes for Ron DeSantis. This legislature is Democratic. They say, no, we're going to send we have concerns about the election. We're going to send the delegates um, to the Electoral College for Joe Biden. Do you know who gets to decide they can't? Nobody. <laughs> That's what they're going to consider in the next term. You think it's not just liberals that think this court's Meshuggah. <laughs> it's, believe me, this is getting crazier and crazier. By the way, and you think that I don't do service here on the middle? I just got a text from Shira. She sent me a picture of her voter registration. She has changed. This doesn't happen often. From one party to another. Never mind from independent to another. And that's, but she didn't do it in time to get into the primary, but at least she'll be participating. Um, Next up, but let's go to go to. Oh, Helena's going to Helena is going to help me. She always does, but she, she she can. Helena, go ahead. You have a call about whether my heart rate is too low at thirty eight. Yeah, no, no, no. I th- I think that gizmo is just a waste of money, because quite frankly, I think the fact that you know that you have it on makes your heart rate even faster, or slower, or whatever. Well, I'm just looking at it now, Helena. My heart rate just ticked up four beats just with this call because I thought you were going to tell me I was in bad trouble. So you think I shouldn't even monitor it at all? I, I think it's a waste of money. I really well, do. here's what the thing I mean, is. Yeah. From what you were telling us about it. Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, I shouldn't be 38 beats per minute at night. That sounds – I mean, I'm spooked by that. No, but the fact that you know it's on, you know, and you're be. You know, aware that it's on. All right, second of all, second, uh, several weeks ago you had a – Miss Terry Strada on. Yes. Amazing woman. Uh, is it possible for you to give us reports every so often as to how she's doing? I certainly will. And it's, it's you know, I want to tell you, Helen, it's, it's great that you called today because there is a little bit of news. And in, in that, you know, uh, for, for those of you who weren't tuning in, finally, you can Maybe find. Biden's not going. Yeah. Yeah. So so um, it was an episode we did a few weeks ago. You can find it on the Apple podcast, the Red Apple podcast network. You can find it on Spotify about Saudi Arabia, and we had this amazing woman on Terry Strada who represents uh, families uh, who, ha- uh, who are survivors of those who were lost in 9-11 and how she's trying to hold Saudi Arabia accountable. Biden has postponed his trip. It looks like it's still going to be in July. They haven't announced it. But now Terry has turned her attention to this LIV uh, golf tournament, which the, the Saudis are sponsoring, trying to get American golfers to boycott that or at least to try to get accountability. I will get you more of an update, um, more of an update on, on next week's show. But thank you for reminding us that, Helen. I do appreciate it. And thank you for making me feel better about my uh, about my heartbeat. And uh, next, let's go to Joe, Joe in Westchester. Joe, tell me how the House Martins got their name. Do you do you 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 don't know how the House Martins got their name? Well, I know it's the name of a bird. I mean, even though they, they spell it, I, but but tell me how I they got their name. So. I believe the story that I heard how the House Ones got their name was there is the famous uh, British spy, Harry Palmer, the the uh, antithesis of the James Bond character. He was sort of an everyday working class character. And he, there were two films with Michael Caine, one called Funeral in Berlin, the other called The Ipscris File. And the villain's henchman was named House Martin. I love it. I love it. Now, that you know, it's funny because House Martins, if you put that in your Google search bar, they will separate the two words and make it – it's a bird. Uh, the House Martin is a bird. But that's a fascinating story. Thank you. I, I'll, I'll, I, you know, I actually met later, uh, later on in life, I met Paul Heaton. He, they played – the Beautiful South played, I want to say, at the bitter end. And I have a picture of me somewhere – with me and Paul Heaton. But thank you, Joe, for that update. All right, let's get back to the Supreme Court. Um, Walker in Paramus. Go ahead, Walker. Good afternoon, Anthony. Good afternoon. Um, good afternoon. What I was going to say is you look at the CDC, all these alphabet agencies, they wield a tremendous amount of power. And nobody elected these people like Anthony Fauci. He raises his army, shuts the country down for as long as he feels like. I mean, something's got to give. But what's the walk? I'm I'm glad you're taking the other side of this. But what's the alternative? We don't have a bunch of doctors in Congress, so Congress says we're going to create an agency, which is in their power. We're going to staff that agency, which is in their power, with experts, and we're going to then give them legislation on what they're supposed to do: go out and protect us from infectious diseases. What's the alternative? Well, they got to go back to Congress once in a while and say, hey, you know what? This is a little bit above our pay grade. Maybe you guys should meet and you make a decision. This is what we recommend. You bat it around. 
Okay. Well, let me, but let's now let's game that out. Let's say it gets sent back to Congress. First of all, every year there are oversight hearings. Every year there are budgets. Every year there are laws that are passed by Congress telling the CDC or telling other agencies, do this, don't do that. Every year there are appropriation bills that say, here's some money to go out and do and to invest in getting a whole bunch of masks in case of emergency. Or in the case of baby formula, go buy a whole bunch of baby formula uh, in, 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 in case we need it or something like that. You're saying you prefer the idea that they go back to Congress, to the United States, to the United States Congress that we see on TV all the time, and they say you guys go make decisions about health care, you guys go make decisions about about technology, you guys make decisions about. Listen, why do we? It seems like we're schizophrenic in this case. If we believe that members of Congress are so ingenious, and by the way, I served in Congress for seven and a half years, so there's the proof in the pudding that we're not a bunch of geniuses. You, I can tell you. We just don't have that type of expertise. You may not like the outcome of the agency. That's fine. Sometimes agencies do things under Republican presidents that I don't like. Sometimes they do things under Democratic presidents that I don't like. I get that. But the structure of government is not for the courts to say they're going to decide what kind of things Congress can send to an agency and what time they can. Where is that in the Constitution? They didn't have those alphabet agencies a million years ago. But the, the, the Congress says no, no. The Constitution says the Congress can 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 delegate. So so I and Walker, I really appreciate the call. I mean, look, this. I'm not saying this is an easy question, and I'm saying that this. If the Supreme Court said we rule on the side of West Virginia, that this that this agency went beyond what we read in the law. They Congress passed the law. You guys went too far. We're sending it back to Congress. That's not what they did. They said this whole issue is a major question, and we're going to decide the next time what happens with it. Thank you so much for being here in the middle. When we come back, we'll wrap up with some final thoughts, and I'll tell you what my heart rate is. It's 49 right now. I'm feeling good. The House Martins will bring us out. Welcome when you come back in. It's the middle with Anthony Weiner, 77 WABC. Finding new ways to make change, reaching across the aisle to work with both sides. This is The Middle with Anthony Weiner on WABC. Sheep are up against here on The Middle. I am Anthony Weiner. Every Saturday between 2 and 3, right before Curtis comes in at 3 o'clock, we're talking about the Supreme Court. We're talking about the House Martins. We're talking about my heart rate. I've got one of these new rings that kind of keeps track of my my numbers, my sleep score, my heart rate, and everything else. And my heart rate last night was 36, I think, beats per minute, which... Seems a little low to me. I don't know. So if I start dozing off, perhaps Rich will come in here with the jaws of life or whatever those paddles are and resuscitate me. We're talking about the Supreme Court, some decisions that I think we should all agree are problematic. I am not sure um, that everyone agrees. Dino in New Jersey. Dino, you're next up. Thank you so much for joining us. First of all, pleasure to talk to you. My uh, pleasure, Dino. My pleasure. Selena. I used to hate you. I ain't going to lie to you. <laughs> I used to hate you. When I first heard your radio, I go, oh, he's not that bad. You sound a lot logical. But you, I think you're crawling out of your shell again. It's nice of, <laughs> it's nice of you to say, Dino. Appreciate it. Back to your old way. <laughs> Anyhow, listen, um, you have to understand, the Supreme Court decision, all they did, I, as far as abortion, I'm pro-abortion. I don't care. I'm not, I don't care about anybody. As far as the, uh, well, uh, West Virginia versus EPA, all the or Supreme Court did is brought it back to the status quo. Uh, Obama made a decision which he was overreaching, and with uh, Trump didn't take it, uh, put this against the, uh, our com- our country as far as you know, bring us into a worse uh, uh, natural gas or uh, coal fa- uh, uh, situation. But obviously, the, this administration will put us in a bad situation. And you know, you're talking about uh, inflation is in Europe all over. What you don't understand is that we're causing inflation around the world. This, you know, United, I lived in Europe for 11 years. The United States is a huge factor in the world. We're the biggest economic country as far as that, but also we, have, we, we, we deal with the whole world. So everything, everybody deals with dollars. We deal with everything. And 
Well, you have to understand that every every wrong decision we do over here, it echoes around the world. Everybody's paying attention. Right, dollar. but Dino, let me ask you a question about that. Dino, I agree with you. I agree with you that you look, we're the world's reserve currency. It's not the euro. It's us. I get that. And 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 I think that that solving inflation, our our fiscal policies and our monetary policies are going to be important. But I want to get to the first point you made. It's not the job of the Supreme Court to take a side on whether a policy is good or bad. You may like the outcome because they struck down this particular rule, and I'm, let's put the rule aside for a moment. Obviously, I, I believe that that the that we should try to keep the air be cleaner and that limiting carbon uh, carbon dioxide in the air is a good thing. But the problem is the court has to not just strike down a law. They have to create a standard so anyone else, courts all around the country, take a look and say, right, what's the standard we're going to use? This standard that they came up with, the major question doctrine, doesn't send it back to Congress and say, you decide what a major question is. It says, we will do it. We, the Supreme Court, will do it. That's How can any conservative like a court that, take, that takes law writing into their hands? We can't keep looking at these decisions just in terms of whether the outcome is what we want. It's not the ends justify the means. This is the Supreme Court. They've got to be the referees here so that we use, that we get to the place, that we let the legislature and the executive branch get to the constitutional place. But, Dino, I really appreciate it. I used to not like you very much either. I'm really starting to like you as well. So call us again. Uh, Next up is uh, Dave in New Jersey. Go ahead, Dave. Yeah, how you doing? I'm um, doing well, I'm enjoying Dave. your verbal gymnastics. <laughs> uh, they're very interesting. And they're making my Dave, they're making my, they're making my heart rate go up. Facts. Go ahead, bud. I'm sorry. Well, that, that's life. That's life. <laughs> CO2 is not a pollutant, and there's no study that shows that CO2 adds to um, uh, global warming, and I don't even know if there's global warming. So I think that Congress, if they want to regulate CO2, should put regulations in. Not unelected people in agencies pass any agency rule they want. It has to be done by Congress, debated and and tested. And uh, well, I, I appreciate Dave, and, and that's and that's what um, Congress did. That they they called it the Clean Air Act. They said they wanted there to be restrictions, and the Supreme Court struck it down. Thank you all for joining me on the middle. Coming up next, Curtis Lewa on Left versus Right. See you again next week on the middle.